Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. And my guest today is Mark Rosen, who's Associate Professor in the Hornstein Jewish Professional Leadership Program at Brandeis University, where he teaches organizational behavior in Jewish nonprofits, coordinates the student internships, and leads an annual four-day trip in New York City, where the students visit 15 different Jewish nonprofits. A lot of Mark's work over the years has been in research on a variety of different topics, looking at Hillel, the American Joint Distribution Committee, done some work with Birthright Israel, Jewish summer camps, Jewish day schools, and intermarriage. His most recent work has looked at Chabad on campus, and he also does a lot of work around families with young children. And I met Mark at the seminar at Hebrew College that I spoke about a number of weeks ago. And what really interested me about bringing Mark on the program was kind of twofold. One, the way that he works with students at the Hornstein program and his experience with those students, the newest, freshest Jewish professionals coming into our field. And then his work in research and what observations he's had in the Jewish community that maybe we can glean some overarching themes from. So thank you so much for coming on the program today, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Wonderful. So we'll begin just by going over your story, how you got to where you are both with your professional position and what made you so interested in doing all the wonderful research you do. We have to go back in time in order to really tell the story. I started out in the business world as a consultant, as a trainer in corporate America, went on to get a PhD in organizational behavior and human resource management from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and was a professor at Bentley University in the Boston area, where I taught management courses. At the same time, I sort of had a Jewish reawakening. My father is a Holocaust survivor. I grew up with a lot of Yiddishkeit. And I think not uncommonly, I went away to college and said, not interested, and went off in a not very Jewish direction for a number of years. So I got the PhD, I was teaching at a business school, but not particularly involved in Jewish life at all. In 1989, my brother got married in Israel. I went to Israel for the first time, and I got zapped at the hotel at the Western Wall. And I came back and I said, I better look into this Jewish thing that I had pretty much ignored for a number of years. And so I sort of got on a Jewish journey and started learning with some of the really wonderful teachers here in Boston. But my professional life and my personal life were completely separate. One year, I actually organized my classes in a way that would allow me to come to Brandeis and sit in on some classes that Professor Arthur Green was teaching. This is, of course, before I ever came to Brandeis as a faculty member or as a researcher. So I was really on a very strong Jewish journey. And in 2000, the opportunity arose to take a job at Brandeis at the Cohen Center for Modern Jewish Studies. Birthright Israel was just getting started at that point. They needed some people to do research on Birthright Israel and other things. It was a chance for me to integrate my personal and professional life for the first time. I jumped at the opportunity, 
And some years later, I had the opportunity to join the Hornstein faculty. They needed someone to teach organizational behavior, which had been my professional training. So it was really an ideal fit for me. So we're going to start with that specific work that you do within the program, and we'll talk about your research a little bit later. But you've been in this role now for how long? I've been at Brandeis since 2000, but I've been at Hornstein since 2007. So I've been in Hornstein for 10 years. And so you are in a very unique position to every year see the fresh faces of our Jewish communal youth coming in and you have the opportunity to take them into New York City and show them 15 different Jewish professional organizations and what their future might or might not look like. So I'd just love to hear your reflections first on what that experience is like how choosing those 15 organizations, how maybe the landscape of who you choose to visit over the years has changed? Yeah, we can just start there. This trip to New York is called Star Seminar, S-T-A-R-R. And it actually originated in the 1970s. Bernie Reisman, who was the founder of the Hornstein program, thought it would be a good idea to take the students to New York and introduce them to Jewish leaders because the program would then get more visibility. This has been going on since the 1970s, pretty much. And I inherited it back in 2008 or so. I had to think it through in terms of like, what did I want to do with it? Rather than just taking it as it was, I had to sort of rethink it and say, what would be the best experience for the students? And what would give the program the highest visibility? So I ended up integrating it with my organizational behavior in Jewish nonprofits class. So the first five weeks of the class, we study nonprofit management. We learn about culture. We learn about mission, vision, values. We learn about organizational life cycles. We learn about boards and governance. And so by the time the students get to New York, they understand Jewish organizations. And that preparation ends up being very, very valuable because They really understand what the people they are meeting are talking about when they use languages like second stage organization or something that just sounds like management gobbledygook, but now they know what that means. So there's a fairly rigorous academic preparation for the trip. Each year, I change out the organizations based on a number of different factors. What were the ratings the previous year? You know, some organizations everybody raves about. Some organizations say, "Ah, let's not go back there. Then there's what's up and coming. When Leading Edge got created, we wanted to include it. This was a new thing, you know. So we met with Golly Cooks, you know, a couple of months after she started the job. And that was very interesting. Turned out one of our students now works for her because she was so inspired by Golly's presentation during Star Seminar that she got a summer internship. And then when Golly was in a position to hire someone, she hired that student. So, you know, there's some nice things that come out of this trip to New York. So to go back to the how I choose organizations, I like to have a mix of legacy organizations and, you know, more recent organizations. I like to have a religious organization, a social justice organization, an international organization, and so on and so forth. So There are very few organizations that we visit every single year, but every single year we do visit the joint, the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee. Every year we visit Chabad, which ends up sort of the biggest surprise of the trip. And then every year we visit, for the last seven years or so, we've been visiting the Shalom Hartman Institute of North America because the students always really enjoy that visit. We have visited Hazon pretty regularly. 
We've been to UJ Federation of New York. We've been to Lower East Side Tenement Museum, the Museum of Jewish Heritage. Really, there's a long list of all the places that we visit. Has the landscape changed at all? Has anything changed in the last 10 years as you've been doing this? Well, it's a little bit hard to say because we do mix up the organization. So when you don't visit an organization every year, it's hard to see trends. I will say that organizations are getting more sophisticated. There's a greater drawing upon a state-of-the-art management practices, principles, Mm -hmm. concepts. So I'm hearing more and more about management principles as a driving force. And I think a little bit less Jewish teachings as a guiding force. Not that there's less Judaism in organizations, but I think that an organization, first and foremost, is an organization. And if it's going to be successful, it has to run according to management principles. And Jewish teachings can illuminate that. They can inspire people. They can maybe shed light on things. But if you're operating in the 21st century, you need to use 21st century knowledge. So I think that would be, you know, one of the main trends I'm seeing. And then I also see a greater interconnectedness among the organizations. The leaders talk to each other. The board members are on interlocking boards. So you might meet somebody in one organization, and it turns out they're on the board of another organization. And so I think that Jewish organizations we visit tend to be more networked than in the past. I'd say those are two things I've observed. And what about your students? How have they changed over the years? With respect to the trip or just in general? Just in general. You know, you get a new class every year. They seem to be the same fresh-eyed, excited kids or? Well, I think that our students keep getting better and better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I just the caliber of students that we're getting just keeps going up. I mean, they were always good. And now they're just great. Maybe they read Jim Collins' book. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But we're getting some really talented, talented people. You know, I think this year in my class, I'm going to be giving almost all A's, and I've never done that before. And I don't give away A's so easily, but this year's class, like everybody earned an A. And Yeah. Is it previous work experience? Is it things they've done in college? What do you think kind of sets these classes apart from the previous ones? I'm not sure I can put my finger on it. I think the word of mouth about the Hornstein program is such that more and more people are hearing about it. And some people who maybe would have gone to a regular MBA program are thinking, you know, maybe I'm going to do Hornstein instead and get the dual degree, get the MBA at the Heller School. Right. And do you know what percentage of your students actually go into the Jewish professional field? I think probably 95%. I mean, every other year we have a student who, for whatever reason, chooses not to. I know of one student in particular who had a fiancé in a town where there just weren't a lot of Jewish jobs. So she put her personal life first, and she should, and ended up, you know, getting a very good job that wasn't in the Jewish world. But people also come back. We had a student several years ago who caught the accounting bug. She took accounting and loved it, ended up taking every class that she could, ended up getting a certificate in accounting from another school. While she was in the Hornstein program, went to work for Price Waterhouse Cooper, and now she's a controller at a Jewish federation. So she got a lot of really good experience in the accounting world, and now she's back in the Jewish world. So right. even if they don't start out in the Jewish world, they end up coming to it. 
Great. I was just curious, you know, with those dual programs, sometimes it's, you know, they come to you thinking one thing about their Jewish career and after again, and getting exposure to other things, make other decisions. That certainly happens. And I think getting back to the New York trip, that's one of the purposes of the New York trip. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody's only worked at a Hillel and doesn't have a lot of knowledge of the rest of the Jewish world, it's just a big eye opener for them to see all the different kinds of missions and all the different kinds of Jewish organizations that exist. And that can really shift people's career aspirations. I like to say that going on the trip is like going to the zoo. If you've only seen a giraffe, then it's a big eye opener when you see a rhinoceros and a lizard and a snake and a bird. So we go to the Jewish zoo, we see all the different species of organizations. And it's very broadening for the students to have that kind of exposure. I was talking with a guest on a few podcasts back that we should have a program like this for people who come to the East Coast (laughs) or to any community, right? Some sort of like welcoming trip, if you will, for new professionals in the area. You know, as a new person to New York City, I would love to have gotten a tour of Jewish NYC. What are all the different organizations and what do they look like? What are their professionals? Unfortunately, you have to do that for yourself when (laughs) when it's not a program that you have set up for you through graduate school. The opportunity to do this is really once in a lifetime. And that's what I tell the students. I said, you're never going to have an experience like this again. You know, and I really push them hard. I mean, we just go, go, go from eight in the morning until nine at night for like three and a half days. And then at the end, I say, you know, was that too much? And I go, no, no, no. It's like, it was tiring. It was really a lot to take in in a short period of time, but it was great. Don't cut anything out. So what does a good organization do during these visits? And what does a not good organization do during these visits? I think a lot of it has to do with the personality of the presenters and how they engage the students. I remember one visit where somebody walked in, kind of made a speech, didn't make eye contact, didn't ask the students who they were, you know, and that was not a good experience. And then you have someone like, you know, Nigel Savage from Hazon, who is really one of a kind. And he'll have every student go around and talk about their Jewish journey. And then he'll tell his personal story. And by the time that happens, you know, he's got everybody in his pocket. And then he tells lots of interesting stories about the organization. And it's just very engaging. So the best visits are ones where the students really feel like the speaker is connecting to them personally and has a great regard and respect for the choices that they've made to become a Jewish profession. Now I'm going to ask you a question whether or not you have an answer to. Obviously, not everybody goes to a graduate school program, and some people do professional development in a lot of other ways. But what do you think we forget between school and real life? What is harder to translate? What do we often forget? I do something in my organizational behavior in Jewish nonprofits class that students find a little disconcerting. And that is, I have them write a self-analysis paper. And they always say, I was in college for four years. I never had to write a paper about myself. And I say, okay, well, now is your first time. So the whole idea is that if they're going to be successful in the Jewish professional world, they need to understand their strengths and they need to recognize their weaknesses. So they don't make career choices where their weaknesses are going to become prominent and pick places to work where their strengths are going to take them far. And part of developing self-analysis is getting candid feedback from people you trust. Because, you know, we're not very good at looking in the mirror. And there's a fair amount of research on self-knowledge that indicates people aren't very good at assessing themselves. 
So part of the assignment is to go to all their friends and former colleagues and family members and ask questions about what they're good at and what they need to work on. And I mean, that's not an easy paper to write, and those are not easy things to hear. But the point I make to them is that this is a safe place to do it. If you're going to mess up on your first job, that's not a good situation to be in. Mm -hmm. So get the feedback now, think about these things now, and then be in a better position when you get into the workplace to be the best professional you can be. So, you know, to answer your question after that long preface, I think the things that we sort of lose between school and, you know, real life is that we're people, we're not professionals. We all have our own journeys, not just as Jews, but also as professionals. We have skills that we need to acquire, skills that we need to refine. We have bad habits that we need to overcome. And if we don't work on those things, then sooner or later, we're going to trip up and not be successful. And there's research in the management literature that you know, generally makes it pretty clear that the people who fail are people who fail to have a good sense of self-awareness. And that's really hard to find sometimes how to kind of continue that self-analysis. And I know a lot of the leadership development programs that are emerging do a lot of that, right? Help professionals get that feedback, help professionals analyze that feedback and help them grow personally in addition to professionally. The way the Hornstein program is set up is that we have a very close cohort every year. And I encourage them and the faculty encourages them to support and give feedback to one another throughout the two years of the program. And Mm -hmm. the cohort stays very close. People who graduated in 2008 are still in a Facebook group, in regular contact with each other on a very frequent basis. So the cohorts stay very close to each other. And that professional support system stays with them. And I think that's sort of an aspect of the program that is really quite positive for people's professional careers. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big reason why I did the program at HEC in LA was for that sort of cohort Jewish communal experience of togetherness that I'm not necessarily going to get just by going to USC or just by going to Brandeis. And kind of a more secular program is really being able to bond in that way. So that's Mm -hmm. great that that's experience for your students. You've been listening to It's Who You Know, the podcast. I'm your host, Michelle W. Melkin. This episode has been made possible through the partnership with the Jewish Theological Seminary. JTS offers a variety of professional programs, including the Kext Graduate School's new dual degree program, where students earn an MA in Jewish ethics from JTS and an MPH in public health from Columbia University. You can hear more about this program through our podcast partner episode with Dr. Yonatan Brofman, Dr. Jeffrey Kress, and Dr. Abigail Ehrman, or by visiting www.jtsa.edu slash admissions. Before returning to my conversation with Mark, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the guest for our next episode, Rachel Gildener, who is the executive director of Gather DC and discusses with me how her organization connects with young Jews and invites them to participate in the D.C. Jewish community. Here is a clip from our upcoming conversation. Sometimes to be most successful, you actually have to be okay with success not necessarily benefiting your organization. 
the entire Jewish community could see that we are a larger ecosystem and that I don't have to make sure someone has the best time at my program. If they're going to have the best time at another Jewish organization or with another Jewish person and that's their right fit, I'm not losing someone. That's a really positive thing. And so one of the ways that that happens and what I hear a lot is Jewish institutions say, we need to get people in our space. They need to like see how cool our space is. They need to like be in our walls. We need to count them as coming here. And sometimes that works. And there are people who just need that invitation into the space. But a lot of times that is the barrier. Be sure to listen to the rest of my conversation with Rachel in our next episode of It's Who You Know. But for now, back to Mark. Wonderful. Let's go ahead and pivot specifically from your work at the Hornstein program to more broadly looking and talking about your research. So my first question about the research that you do is how do you choose a topic? How do you choose what to examine and what to look at? Or are you told what to do? (laughs) Or do you have some say in that? I have to say that the topics choose me more than I choose the topics. Back in around 2003, when I was still with the Cohen Center for Modern Jewish Studies and hadn't yet joined the Hornstein program, Michael Steinhardt, the philanthropist, had an idea called Newborn Gift. And he wanted to give a gift to every Jewish child, you know, to the families of every Jewish child. And I ended up doing some focus groups with families with young children to help develop this program and sort of shape it. And I really got mesmerized. And I wasn't anything I chose to do. It was sort of like a work assignment. Like, oh, go run these focus groups with some parents who have young children and see what you learn. And I've been in that ever since. And I didn't go in there with any knowledge of child development or families or early childhood. I just went as a researcher, being inquisitive and trying to understand what was happening with these families. So that was a case where I didn't make a choice, but then subsequently chose to continue doing that work because at the time, no one else was doing it. And I found it extremely important. I thought, these children are the Jewish future, and the way their families engage in Jewish life is going to shape what these children get exposed to and what their Jewish identities are going to be like. So the parents end up being critical, and nobody was paying attention to the parents. Everybody was paying attention to the children, like they would go to a preschool, and it's all about early childhood education. I raised a question in the field. I said, well, number one, 80% of Jewish families don't send their child to a Jewish early childhood center. So what's being done for these families? And secondly, I said, kids don't start preschool until they're three years old. So what's the Jewish world doing for zero to three? And I just started doing studies to try to understand these parents with young children. And the field kind of emerged. But it really happened in a very random way. And then I happened to be the person that got randomly chosen, but then I really pursued it. And I really, I thought it was just an incredibly important and very neglected area of Jewish research and Jewish life. Well, that's great. So talk a little bit about, I know you're doing some research now around Chabad and that's part of our Jewish world. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that work you're doing. So that was another study that found me. And, you know, I had done a study of Hillel some years ago. And Chabad was interested in having a study done to demonstrate their impact on the students on college campuses who get involved with Chabad. And the interesting thing about Chabad on campus is that it's a very recent phenomenon. I mean, Mm -hmm. Hillel started in the 1920s. Hillel is ubiquitous. And until the year 2000, there were maybe 30 Chabad houses on campus in the whole country. And now there's 200. 
So in, we're talking like in 17 years, you've got 170 Chabad houses opening on college campuses. So there's been tremendous growth. Some of these Chabad centers have been extremely successful. Chabad is getting no philanthropic support from foundations or from federations. Mm-hmm. Or if they're getting money from federations, it's a small fraction of what Hillel gets. So Chabad was interested in demonstrating their impact. And that study ended up in my lab. So I brought in Stephen Cohen, brought in Ezra Kapelowitz, who's in Israel. I brought in Ariel Levitas, who's based in Philadelphia. And it was a three-year study to examine the post-college impact of Chabad on campus. And we ended up getting survey data from 2,400 college alumni. And when we analyzed the data, it became pretty clear that Chabad had a pervasive effect on those students who became involved, that everything we looked at, we looked at 18 different indicators of Jewish engagement, and Chabad had an effect on every single one. Was there any parallels you could draw between the work that you had done researching Hillel and this work? Well, we deliberately did not compare Chabad and Hillel. That was a choice we made. We didn't think it was fair to Hillel because they weren't part of the study. I will say, you know, unofficially and formally that Hillel also had an impact that was similar to, but also different than Chabad. Did you factor for cross-engagement at all? Did you ask? Yes, Yes, we did. We did. We controlled statistically for upbringing, whether they were raised conservative, reform, orthodox, or with no denomination. We controlled for day school participation. We controlled for whether they had one or two Jewish parents, so on and so forth. And we controlled for Hillel participation. So we were able to isolate what was from Chabad Mm -hmm. and what was from other things. You know, no matter what we looked at, you know, whether it was joining a synagogue or giving tzedakah or being more inclined to marry someone Jewish or engaging in Jewish learning, those who went to Chabad more frequently were higher on all of the indicators than those who did not. So what worked? What about that model of, I guess, Shabbat dinner, really other types of things as well, but what about their model works in helping transition Jewish kids from being Jewish kids to being Jewish adults? I think more than anything, it's the relationship that gets Mm -hmm. developed between the rabbi or the rebbitzin and the student. It's not about an impersonal, you know, taking a class or being in a room full of people on Friday night. It's about developing a relationship with the rabbi, having the rabbi take a personal interest. And that interest continues after college. One of the things we found that we didn't expect to find and that we, you know, were really surprised by is that a very high percentage of students who were involved with Chabad during college remain connected to their campus rabbi or Rebbitzin, or both, after college. You know, we looked as far as seven years out, and half of those who were in the high participation category had had contact with the rabbi or Rebbitzin in the past year. So think about wow. that. Yeah, think I'm about, like, that yeah. seems like that's all they're doing when they're not spending time with students is calling. And, uh, and, and, <laughs> and the thing is, and they weren't getting involved with Chabad where they were living now. There was a very low incidence of alumni getting involved with Chabad after college in the local sense, but a very high incidence of staying connected to the Chabad rabbi. In other words, the Chabad rabbi is like your friend. Just like you stay in connection with your best friends from college, you stay in connection with your rabbi from college. 
And the rabbis do weddings, and the rabbis come to simchas. I did a focus group where someone mentioned that when his grandfather passed away, he asked his campus rabbi to preside over the funeral. What we saw was that the people who were involved with Chabad entered mainstream Jewish life. They weren't getting involved with Chabad. They were going to reform or conservative synagogues. They were getting involved with federation. But it was because of their involvement with Chabad, and they were still in touch with the Chabad rabbi as a mentor to help them with their professional life and their Jewish life and their personal life. And that was really just a remarkable finding because these rabbis and rabbitsons are plenty busy on campus with the students they already have. And yet here they are still in touch with alumni years later, not just for fundraising purposes, but really just as an ongoing relationship. That's definitely a special and unique model. Yes. And, you know, coming back again to this trip to New York, which seems to be kind of the thread running through our conversation, you know, we spend time in Brooklyn at Chabad Lubavitch World Headquarters, and the students get to meet some of Chabad's, you know, major leaders. Mm -hmm. And I think they're surprised by what they see because the Chabad leaders are just extremely good at what they do, and they're extremely personable, and that's the reason for their success. I don't know what they were expecting when they go, but it's not what they experience. And they usually come away saying, you know, that was so interesting. So that's another element of the trip that you know, students really enjoy and get a lot out of. And between that yearly experience of going to 770 Eastern Parkway and this research project, I think our Hornstein students probably learn more about Chabad <laughs> than, right. than, than they want to. Right. <laughs> you know? They knew they were getting into. Has your next research project found you already? Or Well, I'm currently working on a study of Jewish early childhood as a gateway to Jewish engagement. This is a study that was initiated by CASG, the Consortium for Applied Studies in Jewish Education. And I was paired up with a research firm in Washington, D.C. called Child Trends that is probably the preeminent research firm in the country for studying families and youth. The state of Minnesota wants an evaluation of their pre-K program. This is the firm they hire. They're just really phenomenally good at what they do. And, and I'm the Jewish guy. <laughs> you know, bring my knowledge and insight of the Jewish early childhood world. And so we're trying to find out what practices in Jewish early childhood institutions are most effective at engaging parents in Jewish life. That's great. So definitely taking the core of your work and continuing to expand. Correct. That. That's fantastic. Correct. That was another study that found me. I sort of got tapped on the shoulder, you know, will you do the study? And I said, sure. Right. <laughs> I love research. I love data. And so I'm sure it's clearly something that not only are you very skilled at, but clearly you have a passion for it and it excites you, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, my training was in the social science of the workplace. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to work for the Cohen Center at Brandeis, it was sort of like, okay, well, now I'm using my social science training to study the Jewish world. And so it was kind of a natural evolution. And also, I think because I have this background in organizational behavior, I bring a different perspective than someone who's a social psychologist or a sociologist. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that some of the research I've done reflects that training, you know, in terms of the way I look at Jewish organizations and the perspectives that I bring to it. Wonderful. So what kind of advice do you have for our fields, for younger professionals, middle career professionals, older professionals, 
what advice would you give thinking about all the kinds of research you've done and the experience you've had with these students? Yeah. What's your advice? The thing that always sort of strikes me when I look at the Jewish world is the juxtaposition of innovation and tradition. So without question, tradition is what has kept us Jewish because every generation had to be Jewish for the next generation to be Jewish, right? Mm -hmm. And so something got passed down across the generations that kept us Jewish. And yet there's such a stirring for innovation. There's so many different ways to be Jewish and so many different choices that people can make. And the ongoing question in my mind is which of those choices leads to Judaism being perpetuated and which of those choices leads to a kind of a a dead end, you know, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. And certainly that's a debate in the Jewish world, particularly with respect to intermarriage. You know, there are people who think, oh, intermarriage makes more Jews, you know? Right. And then there are people who think that intermarriage is not good for the Jewish people. And that's just one example. So statistically, if you sort of look across generations to who remains Jewish and who's no longer Jewish, it's pretty clear that the more traditional the upbringing, the more likely it is that Judaism is perpetuated. I've seen statistics where I don't have the table in front of me, but if you start with 100 Jews, you know, in a couple of generations, you have three, 400 Orthodox Jews, you have maybe 100 conservative Jews, you have 50 Reformed Jews. Some of this has to do with birth rates, some of this has to do with intermarriage rates, but the data is pretty clear that the more one is sort of aligned with the tradition, the more likely one is to raise Jewish children. This is sort of a tangent but I think a relevant tangent, and that is the spring, just for my own amusement and entertainment and curiosity, I took a Jewish genealogy class, which is offered here in Boston at Hebrew College by a bunch of people who are experienced genealogists. And I had always wanted to find out about my father's upbringing. My father's from a small village in Poland, and I know very, very little about my ancestors. And this class has, you know, given me the tools to access that information. And It's really fascinating. But when you look back in time at what kind of Jewish lives your ancestors lived, then you can only, you know, start to think about, well, looking forward in time, what kind of lives will your descendants live? In the midst of all the innovation that is, you know, sweeping the Jewish world, it's like, I think we sort of tend to forget or not think about, is this innovation going to perpetuate Judaism into the future? Right. And I don't know how to answer that question, but I certainly think it needs to be asked. Well, you talked a little bit about as you go to these organizations, you've seen a change in how they talk about, you know, more management styles and business things and how we're operating our organizations and not so much about the pedagogy and the reason why this is a quote unquote Jewish organization. Yeah. And one of the organizations I mentioned earlier, Shalom Hartman Institute of North America, really their raison d'etre is to bring Jewish learning into Jewish organizations. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very, very important mission and goal. And I wish them all success. I mean, they're already doing really well, but I wish them all success because without the Jewish grounding and Jewish tradition, Jewish texts, Jewish learning, then what are we really? We're sort of like a cultural group. You know, it's sort of like you don't pass Judaism on by passing on a love of bagels and locks. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. that's not what kept the Jewish people Jewish for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. You know? 
So, you know, that's just my personal concern about directions I see things taking. Like I said, I have more questions than I have answers, but I think that's just such an important question. Absolutely. Is this innovation going to strengthen the future for future generations or not? Yeah, Uh, it's very important. Wonderful, Mark. Well, I'm just going to kind of open it back up to you. Is there anything from our conversation, any kind of last words or last thoughts, anything that's lingering, anything we haven't explored that you'd like to discuss? I just would like to say that as a then scholar of Jewish organizations, I'm endlessly fascinated by all of the new things that come up, by all of the creative things that Jewish organizations are doing by all the talented people that I meet who are really inspirational. It's a privilege to be able to train students to enter this Jewish nonprofit sector and make a contribution to the Jewish people. You know, it's a very noble profession. And, you know, the Hornstein program really strives to create Jewish professionals that are mensches and knowledgeable about Judaism and about the Jewish world and about how to run Jewish organizations. And I think we do a great job. And our graduates have been very successful. And I stay in touch with many of them. You know, they really have gratitude to the program for what they learned and where it got them. That's great. Yeah, it makes a big difference when you love what you do. Yes, I I, I do. I genuinely do. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for coming on the program this evening. And I just really appreciate your time. It's been a great pleasure. I've discussed with many guests on this program the value of a formal Jewish education post-college. These degrees can really help set professionals up for success in our field. I know that my work at HUC is greatly impacted not only the level of skill in which I do my work, but also the ability to think big picture about the Jewish community and my role in it. Mark has the privilege to meet the newest professionals in our field, and begin to help them shape the framework they need to be successful in our field. For those who choose not to pursue an advanced degree, there are some great programs designed to help build on the skills that are being learned in the field, which we've touched upon before in this program. Either way, if working in the Jewish community is a passion of yours, if this is more than just a job, take the time to understand the landscape in which you are working, how organizations in your community are intertwined, how they support or compete with one another, and where you fit into that picture. Mark also brought up some interesting points about how we need to be intentional about the way we innovate in our organizations to ensure that the core of what we're doing is rooted in our tradition and that we are providing our services in an intentional spiritual way. This podcast has been brought to you by the Jewish Theological Seminary. JTS offers a variety of professional programs, including the Kext Graduate School's new dual degree program, where students earn an MA in Jewish Ethics from JTS and an MPH in Public Health from Columbia University. You can listen to my interview with Dr. Jonathan Brothman, Dr. Jeffrey Kress, and Dr. Abigail Ehrman as they discuss with me this program, as well as JTS's new Disabilities Inclusion Concentration for their MA in Jewish Education program. Their contact information is on our website if you would like to learn more about these programs, or you can visit www.jtsa.edu admissions. 
Our editor is Nick Bowden of Bowden Sound. You can find previous episodes, guest bios, book recommendations, and more on our website. It's who you know, the podcast.com. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week. Like this episode? Have a comment or a great suggestion for our next interview? Contact us through our website at it's who you know, the podcast.com or on the it's who you know, Facebook page. As always, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast so that others can find us. It's Who You Know, the podcast.